I want to invite you to turn with me your Bibles this morning to the book of Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2. I want to focus on verses 11 through 15, but I want to start reading at verse 8. And while you're finding your place in Colossians chapter 2, let me remind you that uh, in addition to the outreach we're doing this afternoon, inviting people to come to our Easter services next Sunday, we also have made up some packets of 10 little cards like this. And it says, you're invited to celebrate Easter with us Sunday, April 24th. On the inside, it gives uh, the uh, name and address of our church and contact information, the time of our services, and also the Sunday night musical entitled More Than a Carpenter. And you can use this to just invite someone to come. Keep them in your purse or have them in your pocket. And when you go places this week or somebody comes to your home, you can give them an invitation to come and join us next Sunday. And also don't forget that we are also praying diligently for our community. And throughout the month of April, there are prayer sheets available here at the front as well as in the foyer uh, that will show you where you, uh, how you can pray specifically for our community. And these invitation cards are also at the front, and I believe there are also perhaps some in the foyer too. Colossians chapter 2. Today we're looking at the subject of complete in Christ. Christ has given us complete salvation, transformation of the heart. He has given us complete forgiveness of sin, and he has given us complete victory over sin and over death because of what Christ has done for us. This is Palm Sunday, and so this message today, as we are readying ourselves for the Lord's Supper at the close of the service today, uh, will help us to focus our thoughts on the cross of Jesus Christ. It was on this Sunday uh, that Jesus made his triumphant entry into Jerusalem on a donkey, and they spread the palm branches before him, and they sang, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And then later that week was when uh, Jesus was crucified, and then on the third day he was raised from the dead. Now here's what we read in Colossians chapter 2, beginning in verse 8. See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception according to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. For in him... All the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. And in him you have been made complete. And he is the head over all rule and authority. And in him you are also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. In the removal of the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Having been buried with him in, in baptism in which you also were also raised up with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. And when you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all our transgressions. Having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us and which was hostile to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. When he had disarmed the rulers and authorities, he made a public display of them, having triumphed over them through him. 
Therefore, let no one act as your judge in regard to food or drink. We're going to stop there at verse 15. Let's, let's pray. Father, we, we ask you, God, to speak in a very direct way to our hearts today through the text that we've just read. And even through the songs that we've sung today, Father, that have helped us to focus our mind on the cross. And Lord, I pray that you help us to have a fuller understanding of what sin debt was paid when we came to the cross of Jesus Christ. When we came and acknowledged our need of a Savior and confessed ourselves as sinners and cast ourselves at your mercy. Lord, perhaps there are those in our midst today who have never made that step of faith who have never made that confession where they confess to you, Lord, their sinfulness and repented of sin, turned away from the direction of sin in their life and turned to Jesus Christ and received him as Savior and also Lord over their lives. I pray, God, that you would bring to yourself those today who need salvation and draw all of us, Lord, into a closer walk with you, a closer fellowship, a closer, uh, in, in the sense of our devotion to you, our love for you, our commitment to you. Father, we desire to truly let you be Lord over our lives completely, every area of our lives. Cleanse us this day, O oh God. Continue to mold us and shape us into your likeness, and I pray in Jesus' holy name, amen. In this passage of Scripture that we've read today, we see... First of all, in verse 8, by way, just sort of by introduction, I picked up in that verse because he's dealing with an issue that was present in the time that he was writing to the church at Colossae. The church at Colossae was a church that had some influence from what was going on in that city. There were people teaching the worship of angels. There were people that were saying that Jesus was not really God, that uh, the material things of this world, the physical things... The, are, are evil and sinful and therefore God would never take on a human body and come and live in a, sin, in a human body in this world because they associated that with sin. And so there were, there were people that were casting doubt on the true teaching about Jesus Christ and the truth of who he was. And so Paul is writing to the church at Colossae and he says to these people that are called Colossians and that's therefore the title of this book this letter, he says, see to it that no one takes you captive. That word translated captive there is a word that means robbery. Let no one rob you of the truth. Let no one rob you of salvation. Not let, let no one rob you of the blessings of God. That's what he's saying there. Don't listen to those who are speaking lies. Do not listen to those who are speaking out of their own rationalizations, their own human thinking, uh, their own uh, desires and whims. He says, see to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deceptions according to the tradition of men. This is man's natural thinking. This is man's wisdom as opposed to God's wisdom. There are a lot of people that are in this world today, even in our time on this earth, that come up with their own ideas about what it takes to be right with God, or even people that deny that there is a God. We call those atheists. And then there are those people called agnostics who aren't sure if there's a God or not, and so they do not worship Him. And then you have people that say there is no heaven, there is no hell. Colby brought me an article today by a pastor of a church that 
has become very well known, named Rob Bell, and he uh, had an article in Time Magazine. I haven't read the article yet, but I've read some statements of what he has said. And basically, he's a pastor that's come to the position that he believes that in the end, everybody goes to heaven. It, it is, and, and he is a pastor that's written books, influenced a lot of people, and, and yet he's come to the conclusion that God is such a merciful God and loving God that he would never let anyone go to hell. Let me tell you something. God is also not only a merciful and loving God, but He is also a judge. The Bible says that God has given all judgment into His hands. And what kind of judge would pardon criminals? If we had a judge seated, seated and, and ruling and reigning in a, in a courtroom, making judgments, and a, and a man is guilty of, of the vilest of crimes, and that judge would say, well, you know, I know that you've done all these crimes, but I'm a merciful, kind, and loving, compassionate judge, and therefore, I'm going to dismiss all of your crimes. We would not think well of a judge who did not uphold the law. We would not think well of a judge who did not punish the sinner. How can we expect the God of the universe to be a God who does not judge the sinner? Yes, He is a God of love. He begs us to come to Him. He begs us. He, he pleads with us. And He desires to save. Through Jesus weeping over Israel, we see a picture of a Savior who pleads with people. He, is, he mourned over the sins of those who were dying in their sins without Him. The Bible says that God does not, does not delight in the punishment of the wicked. He doesn't take pleasure in the punishment of the wicked. He wants all to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. That's His desire, the Bible tells us. But on the other hand, those who reject His grace, who, who refuse His goodness and His mercy, or try some other way to atone for their sin other than the way of the cross, and the Christ who died on that cross will die in their sins and will forever take the punishment and wrath of God for all of eternity and they will never pay the debt for their sin. So he says, don't listen to those who come up with their, who have created God in their own image. That's an expression I've heard, you've heard probably before. And there are many, many people that create God in their image of what they think God should do and not do and what they think God should be like and not be like. And yet God has revealed himself through his word. He's revealed himself in the person of Jesus Christ, the God-man. He has revealed himself specifically so that we know what God thinks and what God desires and what God likes and what God does and doesn't do and what God expects of us. So he says that those who, who, are, who come up with their own philosophies, their own empty deception, their vain imaginations, their own thought, thoughts and, about God, he calls this the elementary principles of the world. They're immature thoughts. They are not mature thoughts. They're not according to the, to the word of God. They're not according to true knowledge, true spiritual knowledge. He says, don't let those people rob you of faith. Don't let them, don't let, let them steal from you your faith. He said, rather, you need to fix your focus on Christ. Then in verse 9 he says, For in him, 
in Jesus, all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. What a tremendous statement. This is one of the foundational truths of Christianity, that Jesus Christ, in him, all the fullness of God dwells bodily. In the bodily in the, in the bodily form, the, bo- the body of Jesus Christ, not speaking of his church, but speaking of his physical body on this earth, God dwelt in him fully. In all God's, the fullness of God was in Jesus Christ. He was fully God and he was fully man. And then we move to verse 10. It says, and in him you have been made complete. That means in, in union with Christ, in our relationship with Christ because of his redeeming us from our sin because in response to our faith in him repenting from sin turning to Christ trusting in Christ we have been made complete that means we have we are spiritually complete our salvation is complete and that brings me to the first point that I want to make today the title of the message is complete in Christ and the first point is this that we have in Christ complete salvation. Complete transformation is another way of saying that. And we continue to read uh, in verse 11 where it says, and in him, and this is, this is expounding on our salvation, and in him, in Christ, you were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. Now, because we, most of us here, probably do not have a Jewish background, we have to go to the Old Testament to understand the purpose of circumcision. Circumcision was uh, commanded by God for all of Israel. The Israelites, on the eighth day, on the birth of, all, of every male, that male was circumcised. The, the male reproductive organ of every, every male baby on the eighth day, the end of that flesh, the part of that flesh that, was, that needed to be cut away in order for a cleaning and for uh, a purpose that God had given for, for health. And, and it's a symbol, just like baptism today is a symbol, we do as a symbol of our faith. That was their symbol of their faith in the Old Testament. Every male child on the eighth day circumcised. Now, that didn't make them a Christian. It didn't make them... Uh, saved in, in, in the way we understand salvation. But it was something that was done as it was really a symbol of a need for a deep inner cleansing of the heart. And that's why later, even in the Old Testament, in Deuteronomy chapter 30, the Bible speaks about that God is going to circumcise your hearts. That's the circumcision that we really need for spiritual cleansing. We need our hearts. We need the the flesh. We need the old nature uh, cut away from our lives. And that comes at the point of salvation when we're transformed by the power of God. So bodily circumcision did not make a person really a Jew in the truest sense because even in Romans, the book of Romans, Paul said, not all who descend from Israel are really of Israel. Not every person, not every Jew that was circumcised was not really a Jew according to the faith. They might have been by their heritage, their nationality, but not by their faith. In the same way today, for the Christian church, we uh, we don't go by the right of circumcision in order to show our faith in Jesus Christ. 
we have a different right, and it's the right of baptism. We call it an ordinance of baptism. The Lord told us to go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all the things that I commanded you. And lo, he said, I am with you always, even until the end of the age. And so baptism is a symbol. Baptism does not save us today. You can be baptized ten times and not be a Christian if you don't have faith in Jesus Christ. If you've not come with a repentant heart and come to the cross and, and, and believe that what Christ did on that cross was in your stead and that you see yourself as God sees you, as a sinner headed for a devil's hell, and without God's forgiveness and the cleansing of Christ that comes by trusting in His shed blood on the cross, if we do not come to that point, we can be baptized all we want, and it not mean a thing. Baptism only has meaning when it comes out of a heart of faith that has believed on Jesus Christ. Not just a mental ascent of belief, not just uh, accepting a, a set of facts as being true about Jesus, about his death and burial and resurrection, but it's a heart belief. It's where we believe from the heart. We confess with the mouth that Jesus is Lord, and we believe from the heart that God raised him from the dead. And that means if you believe God was raised, that God raised Christ from the dead, that is to believe that Jesus was God. Those in the day of the New Testament who did not believe that Jesus was God, they didn't believe he was raised from the dead. But those who believed he was raised from the dead believed that he was who he said he was when he said, I and the Father are one. If you've seen me, he said, you have seen the Father. And so when we come to salvation, we are made complete in Christ. He gives us a new inner nature. And so he says in the last part of verse 11, the first part says, And in him you, you were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. So he's not talking about the circumcision of the male reproductive organ. He's talking about a circumcision of the heart. And with a circumcision made without hands, in the removal of the body of the flesh. There he's not talking about the flesh on in the physical circumcision. He's talking about the flesh of the heart. He's talking about the flesh of the old nature that, that is cut away and removed when we come to faith in Jesus Christ. Now I know we all sometimes think, well, if that's true, how come we still struggle with sin? Why, do we still, why are we still tempted? Why, are we still, why, do we, why is there still an allurement sometimes towards sin in our lives if that old nature has been cut away? Well, the reason is, is because we still live in an unredeemed body. We've been saved in our spirit. We have been given an inner nature that desires the things of God, and there should be clear evidence of that in our lives. But we still live in a, in a, in a body where the law of sin resides, and we daily will struggle against temptation and sins, and we must learn by faith to walk in the spirit and not walk according to the deeds of the flesh and not walk, uh, walk according to the flesh like people who, who do not have a new nature. We need to live like people who do have a new nature. And, we, and it's a, it is something we have to work at every single day and we do it not by our own strength but by the strength of God. That's why we need to be in the Word of God. 
If you're not in the Word of God, you're not going to be in the will of God, and you're going to be in the world as far as living goes. If you're not in the Word of God, and if you're not talking with God and praying with God and saying, God, I, this Christian life is hard, and, and I'm struggling with it, but Lord, I'm trusting you to change my heart. I want to be changed. I want to be the man and the woman you want me to be. I want to be the young boy or young girl that you want me to be. And so it's walking by faith. It's pouring your heart out to God every day and say, Lord, I want to please you. I love you. You've done so much for me. You saved me from my sin. You've forgiven me of all my sin. I, I, I thank you, Lord. I want to live for you. Lord, make me like Christ. I mean, if that's the that's cry of a heart that God wants to hear. Even the Apostle Paul in Romans 7 spoke of the, the, the problem that he faced in his own life, in his struggle with sin. He said, I do the things I don't want to do, and the things that I should do that I don't do, and the things that I shouldn't do, those are the very things that I do. And he was the, one of the most godly men that we read about in the Bible. But he knew that the flesh was weak, and he knew that he had to keep his focus on the Lord. That's one reason we gather as a church on the Lord's Day, to retune our hearts to God. That's why we gather even midweek in order to pray and pour our heart to God as a church and encourage one another and pray for each other. We need those prayers. We need the Lord. We need this Word. We need to abide in God's Word and let it abide in us that we might not carry out the desires of the flesh. And so our salvation is complete. He says that we've been circumcised by the circumcision of Christ. In the last part of verse 11, it mentions that phrase, by the circumcision of Christ. That's the circumcision every believer needs. Female, male, young believer, older believer, in-between believer, the, sex, the circumcision of Christ, that has come to our hearts the moment we have believed on Jesus Christ. We've had that a new nature cut away and we have had a new nature replaced in us. Verse 12, having been buried with him in baptism, now he shifts gears here and he moves to the symbol that the church has, uh, individual believers have in, in the church age. It's not circumcision is the sign of our faith, but it is baptism. We've been baptized and it's a water baptism that's a picture of spirit baptism. And really where he says here, we've been buried with him in baptism, it's really not speaking necessarily of the water baptism as much as it is the, the spirit baptism. But certainly the water baptism was the outward sign. The spirit baptism is what happens at the moment we're saved inside us. We're immersed into Christ. We are immersed into his church in which you were also raised up with him through faith. So we've been raised up through our faith in Jesus Christ, and that faith is in the working of God. It's in the power of God. The same power that raised Christ from the dead is now in us who raised him from the dead. Christ, God, is the one who raised Christ from the dead. You'll read other scriptures that say that uh, Jesus raised himself from the dead. And then there's a scripture that says that the Spirit raised him from the dead. God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, all involved in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So we are given complete Salvation, complete transformation when we come to faith in Jesus Christ. Now quickly, let me give you a couple of others. Oh, these are so good. Don't miss this. 
In Christ we have complete forgiveness. Notice verses 13 and 14. We have complete forgiveness. The Bible says, And when you were dead in your transgressions, that's another word for sin, when you were dead in your sins and trespasses or transgressions, all of those look at sin from a little different angle. And, and I won't go into it to explain the difference between a sin and a trespass and a transgression, but the transgressions were the deepest level of sin in a person's life. He says, and you were dead in your transgressions. We've transgressed, transgressed the law of God. We've transgressed this word, this Bible, this book. We have walked all over the love of Christ and the love of God. We have gone our own way, as was read earlier. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. The Bible, though, says here that though we were before Christ having Christ in our lives. We were dead spiritually in our transgressions, our sins, and the uncircumcision of your flesh, meaning we had an old sinful nature. But notice the next part. He made you, Christ made you alive together with Him, with Christ, having forgiven us all our transgressions. I've got that word all circled in my Bible having forgiven us of all of our transgressions, all of our sins. Think about it for a moment. All of your past sins, all of your present sins, and I will tell you even all of your future sins are, at, are put under the cross and under the blood of Jesus Christ when you come to faith in Him. Those who refuse to come to Christ will, will suffer the punishment of their sin for all of eternity, and they will never pay their debt of sin. Now let me ask you a question. If a person can live in hell for all of eternity, bearing the punishment of his sin, and never pay the full payment, never complete the payment of his sin, how can Jesus in one day on a cross pay the debt for every person of all generations before him and after him who would believe on him how could Jesus pay for the sin debts of all of us in this room today, even, in one day? He was on the cross for six hours. Three of those hours were total darkness, and, and someone has suggested that that's really when he paid that sin debt, in three hours. How can Jesus do it in three hours or six hours or one day, and a sinner in hell cannot pay his sin debt for all of eternity? It's because Jesus is an infinite person. He's an infinite person who has the infinite capacity to absorb infinite judgment. And he was able to pay our debt of sin in those hours on that cross that we could never pay ourselves in an eternity of judgment. He has forgiven us of all of our transgressions. And verse 14 explains that, elaborates on it. Having canceled out the certificate of debt, that means our spiritual IOU. It's the IOU that we owed God a debt that we couldn't pay, but He paid the debt that we couldn't pay, and He didn't know. He paid it for us. This certificate of debt, it's a record of debt, sin debt against God, consisting of decrees. Thou shalt... Have no other gods before me. Guilty. 
Thou shalt not make any graven image of God. Guilty. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Guilty. Thou shalt not lie. Guilty. Thou shalt not steal. Guilty. Thou shalt not covet. Guilty. Thou shalt remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Guilty. Honor your father and mother. We failed to do that. Guilty. Every one of those Ten Commandments, guilty, 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 guilty. You say, Wait a minute, I never committed adultery. Jesus said, if you've looked upon a woman to lust after her, you've committed adultery in your heart. You say, well, I've never committed murder. Jesus said, if you're angry with your brother, you have murdered him in your heart. You see, we're guilty. And the Bible says that he's canceled out. When a person was crucified on the cross by Roman execution, they would put a placard on that cross listing their crimes. And what that's sort of the reference that, that's been, the reference being made to here is that God, Christ, in Christ, our sins have been canceled. The certificate of debt has been erased. It's been blotted out. It's been washed away. And it says that this list of sins was hostile to us. We were enemies of God. It made us, it placed us in the, in the place of hostility between us and God. God hostile toward us, and we hostile toward Him. He's taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Our sin debt. We are forgiven. And then I, I can't quit without just mentioning the third. That's complete victory. We have complete salvation, complete forgiveness, and complete victory. Verse 15. And when he had disarmed the rulers and authorities, he made a public display of them, having triumphed over them through him. That means through Christ. These who the dis, he disarmed the rulers, Satan and all of his his demons, those fallen angels who fell with Satan from heaven. He it says that he has disarmed them. Satan only has three bullets the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the sinful pride of life. He only has three bullets and, and he, those bullets have been removed. Those bullets have been taken away from him. The Bible says here that he made a public display of Satan and all those demons because he triumphed over them. When he paid our sin debt on the cross, sin no longer had hold over us. It no longer had dominion over us. In Christ, we are set free from our sin. We are forgiven of all of our sin. And we have victory over sin and over death because Christ died in our place. Complete salvation, complete forgiveness, and complete victory. We come today to partake of this Lord's Supper and be reminded of what Christ did for us on the cross. Let us not forget that he paid that debt of sin for us. And listen, the pain for Christ on the cross was not the thing that he wept, sweat, uh, blood like sweat drops, uh, sweat drops as, as a blood. He, it wasn't the crown and the nails and all that the cross and all the agony on the cross that he was dreading, it was being separated from God the Father on our behalf. 
He, for a period of time, when darkness came over that earth, he said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He was separated. He had never known anything but perfect fellowship with the Father. But during those hours, God turned his back on God the Son. He was bearing our sin on the cross, and he was treated by God as if he were a sinner. And yet he had never sinned one single sin. He paid that debt for us. As we partake of this Lord's Supper today, let us give thanks to the Lord for this debt of sin that's been paid. And if you're here today and you don't know Christ as your personal Savior and Lord, I would encourage you just to use this time while the body of Christ is is partaking of this Lord's Supper just to pray and ask the Lord to save you. Cry out to Him in your heart and ask Him to save you and to cleanse you from your sin and ask Jesus to be your Savior and Lord. And when we sing an invitation song... After we do our uh, Lord's Supper, actually we're going to sing the decision hymn first. So let's go ahead and turn to 249. If you want to turn your hymn book, they'll be on the screen also. Let's sing Jesus Fade It All. We're going to invite you to...